What's up, world? I'm Cameron McKinney, and this is Pop Culture Spotlight, a podcast about Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and The Souvenir Part 2. Let's start with Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Here's a quick synopsis. Doctor Stephen Strange comes across a young girl, America Chavez, who has the ability to travel through the multiverse and must protect her against the Scarlet Witch, who wants to use her powers to escape to a reality where she's with her children. The film stars Benedict Cumberbatch, Elizabeth Olsen, Zochi Gomez, Benedict Wong, Rachel McAdams, and Chiwetel Ejiofor. Standout performances. The evolution of Benedict Cumberbatch as Stephen Strange has been fascinating to watch. In 2016's Doctor Strange as the lead, he was a total narcissist. That film, by the way, is one of the very best Marvel movies. He next had a cameo in 2017. Thor Ragnarok. Next, he had supporting roles in Avengers Infinity War, where he had a battle of wits with Tony Stark, and in Endgame, where he returned for the final battle. And last, we saw him in Spider-Man No Way Home. He was the new mentor, or the adult in the room, to Spider-Man, a role that was once held by Iron Man. And in that film, he famously tells Peter Parker to Scooby-Doo that bleep. We see him in the multi verse of madness is someone who's humbled and wishes his life went in another direction. Cumberbatch is playing a completely different version of the character from film to film, and yet it works for the movies he's in, but the continuity of the character is all over the place. It reminds me of Margot Robbie playing Harley Quinn. Like, I love seeing Margot Robbie play Harley Quinn, but in every movie she's in, she's playing a different version of the character. Cumberbatch is great as Stephen Strange. There's just no consistency to the character, which is why I find it ironic that in this movie, there are multiple versions of the character, because honestly, I don't know who the real Stephen Strange is at this point. That gets us to Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, aka the Scarlet Witch, who for the longest time was a secondary Marvel character who most didn't care for. Then in 2020, WandaVision happened, and she was nominated for an Emmy playing the character and in this film she's the villain and I liked her in the movie but her motivations are so ridiculous and fair warning if you haven't watched WandaVision you will not understand this movie at all. I do find it laughable how an every project, Wanda has a different accent. I get it in this movie, she's trying to do the voice of an over-the-top villain. And for the most part, it's effective. I just found it more believable when she was mourning the death of Vision. It was relatable. In this movie, she wants to reunite with children she made up. That isn't relatable, and I have zero connection with her fake kids. The director of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is Sam Raimi one of the originators of superhero movies. In 1990, he directed Darkman with Liam Neeson and Francis McDormand, and from 2002 to 2007, directed the original Spider-Man trilogy starring Tobey Maguire, the first two of which are still to this day two of the best comic book films ever. He also directed some really good non-superhero films, the horror franchise The Evil Dead, 1998, 
creates a simple plan and 2013's Oz the Great and Powerful, a movie I really like. Raimi was hired to direct the sequel to Doctor Strange after Scott Derrickson, the director of the original, left the second movie due to creative differences. It seems from afar Derrickson wanted to go full horror and I was pumped when Raimi was announced as his replacement, but this film did not live up to my high expectations. And here are the reasons why. Let's start with the biggest issue this movie has. It's infatuation with the relationship between Cumberbatch's Strange and Christine played by Rachel McAdams. And my issue, and I think many audiences will agree, I don't care for this pair. I feel like love stories in these movies need to be earned on screen. Marvel has had success in the past with Tony Stark and Pepper Potts played by Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow. Thor and Jane Foster played by Chris Hemsworth and Natalie Portman. Steve Rogers and Peggy Carter played by Chris Evans and Haley Atwell. Star-Lord and Gamora played by Chris Pratt and Zoe Zeldana. And Spider-Man and MJ played by Tom Holland and Zendaya. I cared about these relationships so when they became vital to the plot of those movies I cared. But I do not care if Stephen Strange ends up with Christine and because of that parts of this movie fall flat. And I felt the exact same way about Circe and Icarus in the Eternals like that relationship I didn't care for and I don't care about Stephen Strange and Christine and Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. My other non-plot related issue with the Multiverse of Madness is the look of the movie. It looks awful during major parts of it. The first one looked great and was compared to Inception. The drop off between the look of the first Doctor Strange movie and this movie is astonishing. And can Marvel please go back to making movies where it at least looks like the actors are in the same room? One of the biggest reasons people were excited about this movie is the rumored cameos from Patrick Stewart and John Krasinski among others. Those cameos were a dud. Marvel seems to be doing things fans wanted but not in the way fans wanted them. Take Evan Peters in WandaVision as an example. He was playing Quicksilver in the MCU but his brief appearance was anticlimactic to say the least and in this you have John Krasinski playing Reed Richards, Mr. Fantastic, the leader of the Fantastic Four, one of the pillars of Marvel who has appeared in only bad movies so you need his first appearance in the MCU to be memorable and it wasn't. It was super underwhelming and they were the masters of introducing characters. Nick Fury showed up in Iron Man. Hawkeye appeared in Thor. Spider-Man and Black Panther both brilliantly made their first appearances in Captain America's Civil War. I just wanted them to put more thought and effort into putting this iconic character in this movie. All that being said, I would like to see Krasinski not only star, but also direct the Fantastic Four movie. The position is open now that Spider-Man No Way Home director John Watts left the project. And Patrick Stewart's last time playing Professor X should have been in Logan. Overall, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness is the most disappointing Marvel sequel movie since Thor The Dark World. It's uninspiring. I was so hyped for this movie and sadly it just isn't very good. And after watching a movie like this, I have to wonder if Marvel is just seriously missing their marquee characters Captain America and Iron Man. That maybe they're trying to 
elevate a character like Doctor Strange into a position he really shouldn't be in. If Strange is the figurehead of the MCU, then they may be in trouble for the first time ever. I say all this and then Jonathan Majors is going to appear in a Marvel movie and then I'm going to say, well, they're saved. That's what they really need. They need an Endgame-like event to get us all pumped up. I mean, they just had Spider-Man No Way Home, but they need something else and they need it with a character who we wouldn't expect it from because that's what they used to do. Marvel used to make hit movies out of secondary characters like the Guardians of the Galaxy. If Marvel can make a hit movie with a secondary character that we all think is great, then I think they will be right back on track. But until then, I think they're in some serious trouble. Now let's switch gears and talk about the Disney Plus series Obi-Wan Kenobi. Here's a quick synopsis. Obi-Wan must come out of his hiding on Tatooine to save Princess Leia and confront his former protege, Anakin Skywalker, now known as Darth Vader. Standout performances. Ewan McGregor gained a lot of notoriety after starring in 1996's Train Spotting, directed by Danny Boyle. In the film, McGregor plays a heroin addict, and not long after he was cast to take over the role of Jedi Master Obi-Wan Kenobi from the late great Alec Guinness, still the only person ever Oscar nominated for a performance in a Star Wars movie. McGregor played a younger version of the character in the prequel trilogy, 1999's The Phantom Menace, 2002's Attack of the Clones, and 2005's Revenge of the Sith. And for the most part, these films have been ridiculed in the years since for characters like Jar Jar Binks and the bad love story between Anakin Skywalker and Padme Amidala. And even the look of these films were being questioned by fans. Star Wars fans view the prequel trilogy the same way that Lord of the Rings fans view the Hobbit trilogy as a CGI mess. All of that and more makes me wonder why Ewan McGregor would want to revisit the character. I mean, this is a guy who's had a lot of success since the prequels ended. He starred in Beginners, a brilliant film about fathers and sons directed by Mike Mills, August Osage County with Julia Roberts and Meryl Streep, and more recently he's been appearing in some bigger studio movies. I mean, he was in Doctor Sleep, the sequel to The Shining, and he appeared in Birds of Prey with Margot Robbie, and I thought he was excellent as the Black Mask. Now McGregor returns to play a now-lost Obi-Wan, a former Jedi Master who's filled with regret. McGregor is very good playing the beloved character, and furthermore, he was always good. He was never the problem with the prequels. In fact, he was one of the only decent things about them. The breakout star of Obi-Wan Kenobi is Moses Ingram, who has had an incredible last few years. In 2020, she had a supporting role in the Netflix miniseries The Queen's Gambit, playing Beth's childhood friend Jolene. In 2020, she appeared in Joel Cohen's The Tragedy of Macbeth, playing Lady Macduff alongside Denzel Washington and Frances McDormand. And now she's playing a major villain on a Star Wars TV show. And she is one of the best things about it. They gave her character an emotional arc that connects back to the prequels and she nails it. McGregor will next star in Guillermo del Toro's stop motion adaptation of Pinocchio and the filmed Raymond and Ray with Ethan Hawke. And Ingram will next appear in the Apple TV Plus series Lady in the Lake with Natalie Portman. Let's talk about Hayden Christensen. This show 
show was being sold as a redemption for the man who played Anakin Skywalker. And for the record, I never blamed him for those movies. It's not his fault George Lucas can't write believable romantic scenes. I've been a fan of Christensen's work outside of Star Wars. He's great in Shattered Glass, where he plays newspaper writer Stephen Glass, who made up all of his stories. I also thought the movie Jumper was cool at the time of its release, so I was looking forward to watching this show and going, Hayden Christensen is back. And sadly, I really can't do that because he's mainly just the man in the Darth Vader suit, which is cool, but could have literally been anyone else. That gets me to my thoughts on Darth Vader in general. He's both the best character Star Wars has created and he's their biggest problem because they can't move past him. I thought they came close with Kylo Ren, who I think is the second best Star Wars villain, but there will never be another Darth Vader and at some point the franchise is going to have to move on from him. It's great seeing him in this and in Rogue One, but at what point is enough with Vader and not enough things are refreshing and new when it comes to Star Wars in general. Obi-Wan Kenobi is a good show, but watching it I ask myself why it matters. We all know how the saga ended. We all knew how Obi-Wan and Vader ended. What exactly did we learn from this show? And I would argue it's only confusing Star Wars fans more, like how Leia knew Obi-Wan before A New Hope, why in the finale of this series Obi-Wan one doesn't kill Vader, and I don't know, save the entire galaxy. There also seems to be some revisionist history when it comes to the prequel movies. Two of those movies are really bad. The Phantom Menace, other than the fight scene with Darth Maul and Attack of the Clones. The only good movie from that trilogy is Revenge of the Sith. And that's mostly because of the fight sequence between Obi-Wan and Anakin. The prequels are still the low point of the Star Wars movies. And I find the sequel trilogy to be far superior. Overall, Obi-Wan Kenobi is a very high quality piece of television. The lightsaber fight scenes are epic, but Star Wars needs to start moving forward and stop looking backwards if it still wants to be considered a viable franchise in TV and film. Let's switch gears one final time and talk about the movie The Souvenir Part 2. Here's a quick synopsis. After losing her boyfriend, Julie, a film student, decides to make a movie about their relationship. Let's switch gears one final time and talk about the movie The Souvenir Part 2. Here's a quick synopsis. After losing her boyfriend, Julie, a film student, decides to make a movie about their relationship. The movie stars Honor Swinton Byrne, Tilda Swinton, Richard Ayoade, Harris Dickinson, Charlie Heaton, and Joe Alwyn. Standout performances. Honor Swinton Byrne has been fantastic of the character of Julie in both Souvenir films. She makes it look effortless what she is doing. She's a real natural and some might see the daughter of Tilda Swinton starring in a movie and say it's nepotism. And what I would say to that is when someone has that it factor, they have it and Swinton Byrne has it. It's undeniable. She evokes a lot of emotion without even speaking and that's what I think the best actors can do. The other performance from these two souvenir movies that I love come from comedian 
comedian Richard Ayoade, who is playing a snobbish filmmaker, and he's hilarious. My only wish is he was in more of these movies. He has the best line of the souvenir part two. When he's talking to Julie about making her movie, he asks, did you avoid the temptation to be obvious? Richard Ayoade will next star in Wes Anderson's adaptation of Roald Dahl's The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar, which features an all-star cast that includes Benedict Cumberbatch, Dev Patel, Ray Fiennes, Rupert Friend, and Ben Kingsley. The reason to get excited about this movie is because the last time Wes Anderson adapted Roald Dahl, it was the fantastic Mr. Fox, which is far and away my favorite Wes Anderson movie. Director Joanna Hogg with both souvenir movies was able to make a semi-autobiographical movie that is wildly entertaining and neither film feels self-indulgent. In part two, I love the scenes where Julie is pitching her movie to her instructors and because she's going against the grain, they believe she won't succeed. But ultimately, taking a risk and making a more personal film pays off. I loved the scenes where her fellow film students were doubting her. It shows to do groundbreaking work on film, you need to follow your own path. It would have been easy for Julie to make a more commercial film and get the approval of her friends and teachers, but she was going through something and put it on film. Isn't that what movies are about? I usually don't talk about casting what-ifs, but when this movie was first and Announced, Robert Pattinson was cast, and one has to wonder what the movie would be like with him in it. He dropped out to play Batman. He also dropped out of the Claire Denis film, The Stars at Noon. He's one of my favorite actors, so I was picturing him in this movie, and I think it would have been great. It's still great without him, but man, I would have loved to live in a world where Robert Pattinson is in The Souvenir Part 2. Most smaller independent movies usually don't end up getting sequels. It's usually the big blockbusters that end up getting a continuation. Really, the only other smaller indie film I could think of that has a sequel is 1995's Before Sunrise. In fact, the Richard Linklater film has two sequels, 2004's Before Sunset and 2013's Before Midnight. The Souvenir proved worthy of a sequel because The Souvenir Part 2 I liked more than the original film. And I'm really interested to see Honor Swinton Byrne in a project outside of the souvenir movies because I really think she does have that it factor. But is she going to be in like a big studio movie? I don't know if that's going to happen. Is she going to have a career like her mother's? I don't know. I'm just excited to see what's next for someone who I think could potentially be a great movie star. As for Joanna Hogg, her next movie is The Eternal daughter starring Tilda Swinton. Overall, I like The Souvenir Part 2 a bit better than Part 1 because it got into how real-life events inspire filmmaking and being introspective. This movie is definitely inspiring if you're creative. It's really about how making a movie can help you deal with emotions like grief. Thanks for listening to this edition of Pop Culture Spotlight. I'm Cameron McKinney and there'll be a new episode of the podcast every Thursday on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and I highly recommend you check out Obi-Wan Kenobi and The Souvenir Part 2. Next week on the podcast, I'm talking about the movie's massive talent starring
starring Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal, Lightyear starring Chris Evans, and Red Rocket starring Simon Rex. So tune into that and please rate, review, and subscribe. <laughs>